Let's open our Bibles once again to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, and this time we're in Jonah chapter number 2. So turn with me to Jonah chapter number 2. We spent four weeks looking through chapter number 1, taking our time to drain as much spiritual nutrition from this little book that we possibly can and I'm going to be honest, it is very difficult to do as I try to prepare for these messages. And I think that I've looked at the text from each and every perspective that you can. I always find something else, something different for how, because that's just how vast and rich and deep the truths are that we find contained in the Word of God. I pointed this out during week one. And you, when you think of uh, the book of Jonah, you automatically think about the big whale or the big fish. Uh, we didn't even talk about that whale until last week, four weeks into this series. So I'm really enjoying taking our time and digging into the text. And the Holy Spirit through this book, as well as every book through Scripture, forces the reader to get honest and to get real about the disobedience of the Jonah in their lives. I have to get honest and real about the Jonahs in my life, and I hope you are as well. However, more than just identifying and acknowledging what the Jonahs are in our lives, it's God's desire, and, and better said, His command to take those Jonahs and to throw them out of the boat of our lives. Sin causes separation. For the lost, sin will cause them to be separate from the love of God for all of eternity in hell. That can be remedied through repentance and faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin for the believer separates the believer from the blessings of God and from being fully used of God. And to put it bluntly, God will not bless our mess. That sin that you and I will not kick out of the boat that is in our lives will separate us from God's blessing and from being fully used of God. And I've said it several times that if you continue in that sin long enough, no matter how hard you try to cover it up, God will make sure that it's going to see the light of day. And the person or the people that you desire to hide it from the most, they're going to be the ones that find out about it because your sin will indeed find you out. Through repentance, God will forgive sin. And I want to hammer that fact home this morning. God Almighty is a God of wrath. He is a God of judgment upon the sin against Him. But God is also merciful, gracious, loving, kind, and good. Our Lord God, the God of the Scriptures, the only true living God, is in the business of forgiving and saving sinners. For that is why He sent Christ to purchase our salvation in His blood. God is the God of salvation, but God will not release us from the consequences of our sinful decisions. And so now here we are five weeks into our series in Jonah and we're seeing the consequences of Jonah's sinful decisions and where they have taken him. They took him a thousand miles from Nineveh, which is where God wanted him to go to preach the message of repentance to a wicked Gentile people. And those sinful, disobedient decisions took Jonah aboard a boat where God hurled a mighty hurricane-like wind that would have drowned Jonah and everyone else with him on that boat. And now this week we see the consequences of Jonah's disobedience to God has taken him into the belly of a great big fish. 
So look with me at Jonah chapter 2. And I want to read all 10 verses to your hearing this morning, but we're only going to focus on the first five. And I want to speak to you on the prayer of Jonah, part 1. Jonah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, these are the words of the one true living God. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited out Jonah upon dry land. Let's pray. Father God, we have read your word. Not man's words, but yours. Holy, divinely inspired words from the true living God. And we pray, Lord, that you would... Take these words and make them effectual to every heart and every life this day. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to comprehend. Give us hearts to receive what you have for us and wills to apply and do what you would have us to do. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thinking back to where we left off Jonah last week, the mariners aboard that ship were at their wits' end. They tried everything that they could think of to save themselves from that, from that ship being destroyed in that storm and to keep themselves from drowning. They called on their false gods. They threw the stuff out of the boat to hopefully make that boat uh, lighter and navigate through those big waves, and nothing worked. They deduced that the problem lied with someone on that ship. Is someone on this boat that we're on is causing this to happen to us. So they cast lots in that the, the lot, God calls the lot in His sovereignty, and we're going to talk about God's sovereignty and His, His, His purpose and, and His providence this morning. God calls that lot to fall upon Jonah, and Jonah's sin was discovered. And Jonah tells the men that, it, hey, yeah, I, I, I'm the cause of it, so what you need to do is you need to throw me out of the boat because of my disobedience. This is the reason why y'all are in this predicament. And as we talked about, the text says, nevertheless, they did not heed the, the advice. They did not heed that warning. And they tried to continue to row the boat through that storm, and the storm only got worse. That's what happens when we try to fix things our way instead of doing things God's way. Things only get worse. Then we came to verse 15 of chapter 1, and finally someone gets some sense about them, and they do, in fact, throw Jonah out of that boat threw him into the sea, and immediately it was as calm as the silent night that we sing about at Christmas. That's the kind of peace that we want in our lives, right? That's what we want. We don't want a life full of calamity and trouble and turmoil every time we turn around. And if you want that kind of peace in your life, then you've got to get that Jonah, otherwise known as that sin, out of your life. And you have to do so in a radical 
way. The kind of radical that throws a man out of the boat in the middle of a hurricane. The eye-gouging, hand-severing, radical kind of separation from sin that the Lord Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount. Not to be taken literally, but to view sin in the light that God sees it. To be repulsed by it. To see it as a danger and to flee from it as hard and as fast as you once ran to it. Whatever you have to do to separate yourself from that sin, do it. Kill that sin before it kills you. Jonah's now out of the boat and he is alone floating in the calm water like a bobber on, the, uh, on a fishing line. When all of a sudden God moves again. God sent that great big storm and now God sends a great big fish. And I love what it says in verse 17 of chapter number one that the Lord had prepared a great fish. God purposely and intricately designed this huge fish slash whale to come and swallow God's rebellious, disobedient prophet. And that's where we left Jonah last week, and that's where we're picking him up this morning. Our outline this morning has three points as we dissect verses one through five. Look with me at verse one as we think about the state of Jonah, the state of Jonah. There's much controversy about the state of Jonah. What we have recorded in, in, in the end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 is a miracle. All of Jonah is, is a miracle, and we'll see that as we continue to go through it. And it's another in a long line of miracles of all the miracles recorded for us in the Scriptures. And you know, the non-believer mocks us for believing this, don't they? They snicker at how, how could you believe that a man was swallowed whole by a great whale or a great fish? That's easy. It's easy. I believe that the same way that I believe that God created everything out of nothing. That He spoke everything into existence. I believe that Jonah, I believe the story of Jonah the same way that I believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The same way that I believe that all the miracles performed by Jesus. And the same way that I believe that Jesus was in fact raised from the dead. I am a Bible believer and my faith in God's Word compels me to believe that this is as true as everything else in the Scriptures. Now, something we uh, need to consider is this matter of is it a great fish or is it a great whale? Because the Bible uses both terms. Here in uh, Jonah, we see a great fish. If you look in the, the, the Gospel of Matthew, the Lord Jesus says a great whale. That's not a contradiction. Neither contradict the others. It was, it was a big creature that swims in the ocean. God prepared it to be both Jonah's cell to punish him for his disobedience and to bring forth his repentance and also to transport Jonah to Nineveh. There's a very popular pastor from Tennessee by the name of Greg Locke. Some of y'all may have heard him or seen him on television. Um, he, told a, he tells a story of a Bible professor at, a, am assuming, a liberal arts college, and he, he had a student that was an atheist. So it was probably one of those situations where you have to take so many hours of religion in order to uh, uh, get your, uh, just a requirement, a general uh, elective requirement to attain the degree, right? Well, the atheist student, you know, was constantly giving the Bible professor a, a hard time about anything dealing with the Christian faith and was, you know, would um, very often throw up this idea of it being, a, is it a fish or is it a whale? See, there's contradictions in the Bible. Well, the student didn't believe it either way. And one day the Bible professor had gotten tired of the students mocking. He said, you know what? I'm an old man and I have one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. And one day the Lord's going to call me home and I'm going to slip on out of here 
And after I have spent a significant amount of time worshiping Christ in his, and being in His presence and basking in His goodness, if He will permit me, I will go find Jonah and ask him, just for you, if he was in fact in the belly of a whale or a fish. And then that student snapped back and said, well, what if he's not there? And that Bible, you know what that Bible professor said? Well, then you can ask him. <laughs> That's how the world views us. And it does not matter. Fish, whale, whatever. We take the text for what it says because God said it so it happened. Jonah was in the belly of this great big thing that swam inside of the ocean and he had him there for three days and three nights. Now there's also other controversies that has been throughout Christianity for decades. Some uh, take this uh, text to be figuratively. That really Jonah died. And J. Vernon McGee is one who, who, who believes this, that, that Jonah really died, that he was dead for those three days and three nights, and that when the, when the whale or the fish vomited him onto the dry land, that God resurrected him or brought him back to life. I don't believe that. I believe that the text tells us, and we're going to look as we go through this, Jonah was really alive. Jonah was really alive. And he bases this, and many people base that off of what it says in Matthew 12, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Yes, it, 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 was, it, was, it, was, a, it was foreshadowing what Jesus would do, but there's one missing detail. Jesus had to die. Jesus absolutely had to die to fulfill po- uh, prophecy. Now, his body did lie dead inside of that borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea for three days and three nights. He had to, he had to be dead to fulfill prophecy. Now, his spirit was not dead. His spirit did not die. The spirit of Christ was quite busy as he descended into the heart of the earth to lead captivity captive. Jesus descended into the dead and declared his victory and took those who were in paradise slash Abraham's bosom and translated them to heaven. And a popular, a popular heresy that, that runs wild through uh, branches of Pentecostalism is that Jesus went to hell and suffered for three days and three nights. False teachers like Joyce Meyer and Kenneth Copeland have taught this heresy for years, and it's not so. Jesus Christ suffered the pain and the punishment of hell as the Father poured out His wrath upon Him while He hung upon that cross. But when Jesus said, It is finished, and He gave up the ghost... His suffering and our atonement was indeed finished. So Jesus had to die. On the other hand, Jonah didn't have to die. And so that's why we, we, we take the literal view of the text that, that Jonah was literally alive inside the belly of that whale, right? And there are, there are places in the Bible where we do uh, understand it as being figuratively, like when Jesus said, you know, to cut off your hand or pluck, off, or pluck out your eye. He's not speaking literally. It's, it, it's, it's a figure of speech. But uh, 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 here we can say that Jonah was literally in the belly of that fish and was alive for three days and three nights. Well, how was that possible? Because it was done by the power of God. That's what I mean when, the, when I say this little book is just jam-packed full of truth and treasures. Because you can look at Jonah being in the belly of that fish and you can see God's hand of punishment upon Jonah. And, that is, and that's what we're going to focus on uh, truly uh, this morning, that God was chastening Jonah. But you know what else you can see? God's hand of protection. 
Because it was His will for Jonah to be there. It was His will for Jonah to be there. His rebellion uh, 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 had put Jonah there. And, but God was able to preserve him in, uh, in that fish's belly for the entire duration that Jonah was there. Now let's think for a moment about where in fact Jonah's at. What's it like where Jonah's at? One, there's no light. There's no light inside of that fish. Look what it says in verse 3. For thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the sea. There are two places on earth where you can find total darkness. One is inside of a cave. The other is at the bottom of the ocean. Jonah is in the deep ocean, and he's also inside of this fish. So he is in complete darkness. He's also in a cocktail of seawater, stomach acid, and whatever that fish had to eat. And every time that fish ate something, it's going to smack Jonah right in the face. And so for that reason, Jonah probably had to keep his eyes shut. The stomach acids would have irritated his skin, and he, his skin would have begun to itch and become raw and slimy. And he probably, had to, he probably kept his mouth shut as well. So his cries to the Lord, this prayer was probably done in his heart, in internal nature. Jonah's movement had to have been constricted right by the stomach line into that fish. There wouldn't have been much room for him to move around. And there would have been great pressure uh, uh, from the water pressing upon that fish as that fish descended further and further down into the bottom of the ocean. And Jonah would have had a constant uh, sense of vertigo that would have just magnified and amplified any nausea that he would have been feeling. And if it was a cold-blooded fish that Jonah was inside of, Jonah's in there freezing, right? Jonah's in there cold, he's freezing. And, but if it was a whale, a whale is a mammal, and so it would have been too warm in there as well. And so, the, and also you got to know, there's got to be a lack of oxygen getting to that old boy, right? But God preserved him in that. Jonah it, it describes in verse, what it says in verse 2, that he's in a type of living hell, he, he, he says, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. And so it had to have been very, very quiet for Jonah as well. Jonah, all Jonah was able to do, not being able to move, having to keep his eyes shut and try to keep his mouth as closed as he could. The only thing he can do is think. Think about his circumstances. Think about what all he had done that put him there, how he had sinned against God. And he knew that this was all entirely his fault. So his own self sense of guilt would have been constantly assaulting his mind. And for three days and three nights, Jonah is in this state. Jonah's in this type of living death. He's existing inside of a living tomb with no hope of escape on his own. He can no longer run. Jonah is completely at the mercy of God in the belly of that fish. That's the state of Jonah. Point number two, we see the sovereignty of God. Look what it, look, look what it says again. Let me read the first three verses again to you. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord, his God, out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou had cast me into the deep and in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. What does it mean when I say God is sovereign? It essentially means that God has the power, the wisdom, and the authority to do anything he chooses within his creation. 
God is not limited to earthly circumstances. God is not limited to space, time, or matter because He created space, time, and matter. Psalm chapter 115 verse 3 says, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Isaiah 46.10 says, declaring the end from the beginning from and from the ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish some, no, most, no, all my good pleasure. God Almighty is in control of all things in all places and at all times. Yet he's given mankind the capability to make choices. And God has uh, uh, the ability to do anything, to take action and intervene in any situation. But he often chooses to act indirectly or to allow certain things for uh, for reasons of his own to take place. His will is furthered in any case. God's purposes will not be stopped. God's plan will not be thwarted. We think about that famous verse of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, we know that God causes all things, not just the things that we like, not just the things that, that, that we think are good, but God causes all things to work together for good. Somewhere in each and everything that happens, and we may not see it, we may not see it on this side of eternity, we may not wonder, we may wonder how can anything good come out of what just happened, but God is working all things together for good, for His eternal purpose, to those who are called according to His purpose. God's sovereignty means that he is absolute in authority and he is unrestricted in his supremacy. There is no power greater than Almighty God. And everything that happens is at the very least the result of his permissive will. This holds true even if certain things are not what he would prefer. God will even use the wrath of man to please him. The right of God to allow mankind's free choices is just as necessary for true sovereignty as his ability to enact his will whenever and however he chooses. And the fact that God is in control of all things at all times is a source of great comfort and strength. God is in control right now in the midst of this national and worldwide calamity. God is not shaken. God's not seated upon the throne in heaven, biting his fingernails to the quick. Wondering what's going to happen next. He's not looking upon the things that are happening on earth and saying, oh, no, Gabriel, Michael, look, what are they doing? Oh, get me the cosmic Tylenol and the, and the cosmic Alka-Seltzer. They're making a mess down there. No, God is not saying that. And yes, we might be making a mess of things, but even in that, God is at work. He's building his church. He's building his church. He's restoring marriages. He's restoring broken families. He's opening eyes. He's saving souls. And yes, God is even enacting judgment. So you can say everything is going wrong. But you know what? It's going wrong just right. Because God is in control. We see God's sovereignty all through the book of Jonah. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 4, where God sent that great wind. 
We saw it in chapter 1, verse 7, when the lot fell upon Jonah. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 15, uh, when uh, uh, Jonah was cast into the sea and the sea stopped from its raging. And we saw it in uh, chapter 1, verse 17, when God prepared that fish to swallow Jonah. And we certainly see it in the uh, opening three verses of chapter 2. Verse 1, the Lord prepared that fish to put Jonah in it. God put Jonah in that fish and preserved him from dying while he was in there. In verse 3, look what it says. It says, for thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the sea, and the floods compassed about me. All thy billows and waves passed over me. Jonah's uh, 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 sin has put him in this predicament. But God was in control of that predicament. God put him in that fish's nasty belly and in the, in the deep ocean and all those waves that were coming about him and everything that was coming into that fish, yet God in his sovereign protection kept Jonah from dying. He preserved Jonah through this. The Lord wanted Jonah to learn a lesson, a very important lesson in obeying him. Back up in verse 2, Jonah's crying out in despair. He's crying out in despair But look at the comfort that you find in there. Look what it says. And he heard me. He heard Jonah. Jonah is is in the middle of this God-ordained, nasty, moving jail cell. And God heard Jonah crying out to him. Even in our times of great despair, folks, God is not far away. And now Jonah belonged to God. He belonged to the Lord. Jonah was a child of God who was disobedient. God was disciplining Jonah. God didn't cast Jonah away so far that he was completely done with him. And that's the message to the Christian here in the 21st century. When we get out of his will and go on for so long, if we continue in that way, he will discipline us like the loving father that he is. And during that time of chastening, it's not pleasant. And like Jonah, you'll feel all alone. But God is just one cry of true heartfelt repentance away. And if you sometimes think you hear people say, you know, God just feels so far away from me right now. It's not because he went anywhere. The Lord never moves. He's seated upon that throne in heaven. God never moves. So you need to confess that Jonah, repent of that Jonah and get that Jonah out of the boat. And the Lord will restore you and give you his peace. So we've seen Jonah's state, we've seen God's sovereignty, and now verses 4 and 5, we see the sorrow that leads to repentance. Look what it says. It says, Then again I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul the depth closed me round about, and the weeds were wrapped about my head. There's a flow to this prayer all the way through. Jonah goes back and forth from his circumstances to God's power. It is a flow from him, from, from Jonah to the Lord and back and forth. In verses two and two through four, you see Jonah low, brought low in despair, sorrowing over his sin that has put him in this situation. Our sin brings us low and puts us in solitary confinement of God's judgment. And there is a great lesson that we can glean from Jonah's confinement in the belly of that fish. For the believer, It shows us what it looks like when God does chasten us. It's not pleasant for the moment, but you know what? Thankfully, it's only momentary. It's only for a moment. And also, we should be thankful that God loves us enough to chasten us, 
to stop us before we our sin carries us any further than it does. You all, let me read you the, 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 the precious words from Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves, he chastens or disciplines. He flogs every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have you become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you are a professing Christian, if you profess to know Christ as Savior and you are living in a way that is contrary to the Word of God and there is no chastening upon your life, be worried. Be very worried. Be very afraid. Because if God is not chastening you, you may not be of God. And furthermore, verse 9, it says, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of our spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our benefit so that we may share His holiness. When God chastens us, He's refining us. You think about being on a, a, a God's cosmic lathe, I call it. You're like that block of wood that's on a lathe spinning. And God, with, with, with his tools, shave this off and shave that off and fashion us into the tool that he wants us to be. And all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. But for those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And also, if you think about Jonah's time in that fish, it's a, for, it's a small foreshadowing, a small glimpse of God's eternal judgment for the lost to come. Jonah in that fish is a small picture of hell to come. You think about it. Jonah's in complete darkness. In hell, there'll be eternal darkness. No light, no, no, no light at all. As in heaven, I believe with every fiber of my being, there won't even be a shadow in heaven. For God is light. There'll be no more need for the sun, no more need for the moon. We will get our light from the glory of God. That's all missing in hell. Jonah was in pain for three days and three nights. In hell, there will be constant pain, unending pain. The agony of Jonah of being, you know, hit with those stomach acids and hit with whatever food that, that fish ate. And also Jonah's going all three days and three nights without any food or water himself. So he is in this great thirst and it reminds me of the parable of, Lazarus, of the rich man and Lazarus, right? The rich man cries out to Abraham, Abraham, just dip your finger in some water and put it on my tongue because he, his thirst was so great. But Abraham couldn't do it. Because there was such a great gulf, a great chasm between them two. In hell, the thirst will not be quenched for all eternity. And the agony of nothing to do but left with your own thoughts of the circumstances of how you got there. And undoubtedly, the damned that had the opportunity while they lived to hear the gospel and repent will have those images replayed for them in their mind over and over and over. And that will in itself will be a torment. That regret that they had the opportunity, but they hardened their hearts to Christ. Only in hell, it will be indescribably worse. God protect, protected Jonah in that fish. Yes, Jonah was uncomfortable. And, and, and if we had the capability to ask him, Jonah would probably say, I'm, man, I was in pain. 
I was in complete pain for those three days and three nights. But it is not, it was not as bad as what the lost can expect for all eternity if they die without Christ. Jonah had something that will not be found in hell, and Jonah had a source of comfort. The Lord allowed Jonah some comfort, and it was the comfort of being able to think on the Lord. Jonah went back and forth from his circumstances, and he went to God, to thinking about God. Jonah would, would think upon his circumstances, and then he would be comforted to think upon the Lord. The Lord allowed Jonah this comfort. Jonah was comforted that he called out from the, to the Lord from this lonely and vile place. And out of the Lord from such a lonely and vile place, the Lord heard him. The Lord cast Jonah out of his sight, but yet the Lord allowed Jonah the comfort of being able to look to him. In hell, there'll be no such comfort. The grace, mercy, peace, and love and hope of God will not be found there. There will be no hope to bring any comfort, only wrath. And the judgment of God. And you know, this is a true saying. Everyone wants to go to heaven. Everyone. Atheist, Buddhist alike. Everyone wants to go to heaven. But not everybody wants God to be there. Everyone wants some type of pleasant afterlife. Right? They want the heaven. They, they want all the, 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 the beauty and, the, and the, the luxuries of heaven. They just don't want God to be there. Because here, even people that profess to be Christians, because here while they walk on the earth, Christ is not the center of their lives. They are. Themselves are. And they don't want to think about the, 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 the primary thing they're going to do for all eternity is worship the one true living God. Because themselves is who they truly worship. And there are those who think that God, but, but, but you know what? Heaven will only be heaven because God is there. It would not be heaven if it were not for the glory of God being in heaven. And there are those that think that God will not, not, that hell will be hell because God is not there. That's wrong. God's wrath will be there in its fullness. It will be unrestrained with no let up, with no relenting for all of eternity. And you know what? I pray with all of my heart that people would fear the wrath and the judgment of a thrice holy God like they do a virus. I pray that people would hang on to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God through his word, the Bible, like they do on everything that comes from CNN, Fox, NBC, and all the rest. Oh, what would the world look like if people would cling to the blood of Christ like they do a mask and a shot? Don't fear death. Fear the one you're going to stand before after death. There is a remedy to that fear. And it is to truly know the one who defeated death, hell, and the grave, that being Jesus the Christ. And if you truly know salvation in Jesus Christ, then you don't have to fear death. You can say, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, Oh, death, where's your victory? Where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jonah is in this living death with no hope of escape of his own. And Jonah's sorrow is not a sorrow that says, man, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that I got caught and I'm in this situation. No, Jonah is truly repentant that he had sinned against the Lord. In verse 2, just like in chapter 1, verse 12, Jonah acknowledges that he can't blame anyone but himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance without regret. 
That's what you see in here in Jonah. Produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world brings about death. Jonah confesses that he has sinned against the Lord. He admits that he is deserving of where he is and what he's going through. And God is right in punishing him in this fashion. Look what it says in verse 4. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward the temple. I want to read verses 2 through 4 to you in another translation. This is what it says. This is how it is written in the New American Standard, which is another translation that I use when I prepare my messages. It says, I called, verse 2 of, of chapter 2 says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. You had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me, so I said, I have been expelled for your sight. Listen to this. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. I wanted to read that simply for that word, nevertheless, in verse 4. In verse 4 in the KJV, it says, yet I will look again. Remember what we said last, last week when we talked about those men, when Jonah told them what it is that they needed to do in order to calm the storm, that they needed to toss him out of the boat. But the scripture says, nevertheless, they kept on rolling. Nevertheless, they kept on doing. We said, nevertheless means, yeah, I heard what you said, but I'm going to keep on doing what I want to do. Well, here, nevertheless means Jonah is not going to let his circumstances and what is being done to him make him think ill of God Almighty. I'm here because I deserve to be here, but I'm going to look to God. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to believe in God. Jonah knew that his knew what his circumstances were. He knew that it was of his own doing and he knew he was being punished. But nevertheless, Jonah turned his eyes and his attention toward the Lord. And I won't read this to you for sake of time, but I'm reminded of the 121st Psalm where that it is a Psalm of Ascension. It is one of the first texts that I ever preached when I came to this church where it talks about that pilgrim who was on his way to Jerusalem, more than likely for, for one of the feasts. And he says, I will, he's walking through those very, very difficult paths. And he says, I will lift mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So why look to the hills? Why is Jonah talking about looking toward the holy temple? Because Jonah, like the author of Psalm 121, was looking to Jerusalem where the temple was because that was where God was worshipped. That was where God would meet with them and that is where the sacrifice for sins was made. So Jonah is saying, no matter what punishment God sends my way, I will look to him for forgiveness. I am trusting that he is in control and that he knows best and that he will indeed do right. Jonah is saying, like Job, like Job, even if the Lord slay me, yet will I trust him. What about you? What about you this morning? Do you have the Psalm 121, Job, Jonah type trust in your heart towards God that no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, whether they are of your own doing or whether you're the victim of someone else's simple decisions, or will you trust Christ no matter what? Are you going to look at him in faith and trust him even if the details and the outcome may not be to your liking? Because folks, it's not a matter of whether we like something or not. It's all a matter of God's will being done. 
and his will will indeed be accomplished. And we have to rest in that guarantee that he is working all things together for his eternal good. Because in the long run, the eternal run, the goodness and the beauty of what God has planned far exceeds anything that you and I could ever hope for or imagine. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. It doesn't necessarily mean for a night. It means for a specific moment in time, that weeping, that pain, that agony will last. But for the child of God, it's only momentary. And his joy comes in the morning. The weeping of Jonah lasted three days and three nights, but his joy is coming to him when God releases him from his jail cell to the joy of being able to preach the word of God and see 175,000 people repent. Weeping lasts for the night, but it's, um, it's momentary for us because this world is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through and joy cometh in the morning for all those whose hope is found in Christ. God's sovereign will is going to be accomplished. It will be accomplished whether we are in line with His will or not. And I would rather much be in line with His will and being used of Him than being outside of His will and God using my disobedience. I would rather be on the narrow path illuminated by the Word of God as opposed to the smelly, choking, dark, disgusting jail cell of a fish for my disobedience. How about you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for your word. Father, we do continue to thank you for this trek through the life of Jonah. We thank you, Lord, for the miracle that we see of how you protected him and the many messages that we can glean from him being inside of that fish. How you had him there, Lord, to bring him to repentance. How you had him there, Lord, to, to take him to finally do what you called him to do. Thank you, Lord, how it shows us that, Lord, we who are your children, when we get out of line, you chasing us. It's not pleasant for the moment. And God, help us to, to keep that in mind, that your chastening hand is not pleasant, so that would deter us from stumbling into sin. But God, help us, Lord, that, to understand that when your chastening hand does come upon us, that it's there for a purpose. It's there to correct us. It's there to show us the error of our ways and there to get us back on the path that you would have us to be. But Father, help us to be those faithful, obedient people. Help us to get Joan out of the boat so that we don't wind up and having our dis being in the belly of some type of circumstance where you're using our disobedience as opposed to us being faithful and obedient. God, help us to serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because we so greatly want to be used of you. And again, I pray for myself, for everyone under the sound of my voice. You've got things in your life that are contrary to the Scripture. Now's the time to get them out. Now's the time to be done with them. Now's the time to get Jonah out of that boat. Help us, Lord. We love you, not because we loved you first, but because you first loved us. And we're trusting in your plan. We're trusting in your sovereign will, knowing that all things do indeed work together for your good. And thankfully, you've called us 
according to that purpose. Help us, Lord, to be faithful and obedient. We'll give you praise, honor, and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.